0: values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the
1: KTAR News app. All right, you heard the breaking news. The head coach of the Arizona Cardinals has been fired. So,
0: joining me right now is Dan Bickley from Arizona Sports. Um, Big surprise to you, Dan? Uh, No, not a big surprise. I do think that there was a level of anxiety among Cardinal fans that the Cardinals might actually bring Cliff Kingsbury back. Um, I think this announcement comes as a relief to Cardinal fans. I think what you can equate it to as proof of life it's proof that the team is not content with where they've been uh, this year's team has been beset by injuries but the injuries are not an excuse there's a lack of discipline in this organization at the moment there's a lack of direction there's a lack of leadership and the cardinals issues date back to last year they have They've won five of their last 23 games, Mike, and about half of them have been blowouts. This football team from top to bottom needs a complete overhaul. This is the first step in the process.
1: All right, so it's not a matter of just having an opening for for a head coach because you know that there are some names out there that are big names in coaching, and they're going to have a lot of options. And if you're going to entice a head coach to come here, what do you need to do about
0: the GM position to shore up the organization to show that coach that they're going to have a chance at success? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think if you're Michael Bidwell and you run this football team, there are two of these coaches you're talking about. One is Sean Payton, who used to coach the Saints. The other is Jim Harbaugh, head coach at the University of Michigan, who has, has made it, uh, sending out all sorts of signals that he wants to get back in the NFL. I think you call those two guys first. And if you can find a match with either, you invest what it takes to bring either of those men here, and then you let them help pick the GM, help pick their working partner, if you will. If neither of those two who are interested in this job then what you do if, if I'm Michael Bidwell is then you go out and you hire an external general manager, a guy with a track record, and then you bring him in and you let him select the head coach going forward. It's very important to me that 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 this team and this franchise breaks away from the Bidwill family playbook, which is to hire safe, hire within, do not open the doors to outsiders, to keep this thing very tight to the vest. That's what they've been doing for 30 years and it's not working. So to me, they need a culture change. And that culture change culture change comes with a fresh set of eyes from the outside.
1: When um, when Michael Bidwell took over the team from his father, he made a promise and said, hey, listen, you get us a stadium, we'll put winners on the field. Right. And for a long time, he did. Took them mm-hmm. to a Super Bowl. They were a playoff team. That
0: place was a really tough place to play for opposing teams. What changed? Uh, that's a great, great question. I think the vagaries of the NFL changed, and I think they got caught up in, in, in trying to hang on and chase success. They've drafted very, very poorly. And if you're going to ask me what, what has led us more than anything to this point in time, it's that. It's been the failure of the general manager to regenerate and build a foundation with homegrown talent. And it's kind of led this team into chasing, chasing, desperation moves, trading, trying to stay relevant, failing. Um, that to me is what's changed. You're right about Michael Bidwill. I, I know as somebody who came here in 1998, the first football game I covered at Sun Devil Stadium, I looked out. Out. there was 35,000 people at Sun Devil Stadium and that was on opening night and I thought to myself, what in the heck did I do with my career? Michael Bidwell came along many years later and sort of atoned for the competitive sins of his father and he brought this football team into the light and he made them competitive and he made them relevant and and I personally thought mercy, what a relief it is for this sports town to get out from under an owner who while a very philanthropic good man did not care about winning football games. The fear among Cardinal fans right now is that this football team is beginning to repeat history. That 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 the desire to win games has waned. And, and that is what I think Michael Bidwell has to deliver here to the fan base. He's got to deliver a very strong message that I want to win as badly as you do. And this first step in terms of making the decision that we need a new head coach in here, I think perceptually is going to go a long way. It could be something as simple as this the fact that Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray do not vibe together, they've had four years together, they've only made one playoff appearance while Kyler was on his rookie contract, i.e., when Kyler was still affordable, and now all of that's going to change. They need to get him right. And that, at baseline, that necessitated this change. The question now becomes, what are you going to do with the replacement? What are you going to do with the general manager position?
1: Now, that injury to Kyler Murray is not something that's career-ending like it used to be. But there's still some question marks. This is a mobile quarterback. This mm-hmm. is a guy that counts on his legs. So is that going to play into the head coach, uh, coach coming here saying, now you've got a franchise quarterback coming off a major
0: injury. Is that going to play a role in what a, if a coach wants to come here and I take would. that risk I would I would think so yes but so it would have to be a head coach who who looks at Kyler Murray and sees a lot of potential because look you bring up a guy like Sean Payton Sean Payton had a lot of success with Drew Brees who was an undersized quarterback just like Kyler Murray there's a lot of people who look at Sean Payton and say that's exactly why he's the guy that you should be targeting yeah there's no doubt that that Kyler Murray and his stunted development is is would give somebody cause for pause um so I, but but getting him right is paramount to this organization because you are on the hook to pay him and he, he, there's nobody who's going to trade for him at the moment. So that is that is really going to have to be the fit that they find.
1: And now well, they've secured what? The number three draft pick. Is that they, right? Yes. So now what do you do? You don't have a GM. Mm-hmm. You're, you're GM by committee. You don't have a head coach right now. So you got to get some pieces in place pretty yeah. quickly to make the decision of what you're going to do with that draft pick.
0: Yeah, to me, what? yes. And, and I would say right away for Cardinal fans not to get too attached to that number three draft pick. I think if the Cardinals were smart and they 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 looked at all the holes they have to fill on this roster. They are in perfect position to trade out of that pick. With somebody who needs to get one of these two quarterbacks out there, Bryce Young from Alabama, C.J. Stroud from Ohio State, and then you can fleece them, get a bounty of draft picks, and then use that as your first step in regeneration. You remember when the, uh, the when the Cowboys traded Herschel Walker yeah. oh, and they yeah. all that stuff in return, and they b- drafted Troy Aikman and Emmitt Smith and Michael Irvin? Th- this is what this draft pick has to be for the Cardinals. A precious chance to kind of regenerate on the fly, and they're going to need somebody who knows what he's doing? So when you look at, at look at the future of the Arizona Cardinals,
1: is it? Do you hire a GM first, or do you hire a
0: head coach that helps you pick the GM? Yeah, like I said, I think it depends. If, I, I would go to Sean Payton and Jim Harbaugh first, and if you can get either of those two general gen, gentlemen, you work with them on the GM they want to work with. Okay, If you can't get one of these impact head coaches, I think you backtrack. Go get yourself a general manager candidate. Uh, the assistant guy in Buffalo has got rave reviews. Find somebody from a winning culture that's going to come in here with a fresh set of eyes And bring something new. It's exactly how the Phoenix Suns changed. Robert Sarver for years, what would he do? He would promote inexperienced, ineffective young people to big jobs because A, they were cheap and B, they were controllable. What did that get him? 10 years in NBA quicksand. It wasn't until they went out and brought in an, a guy like Monty Williams and James Jones and they changed all the culture. Now, granted, the Suns got some issues now, but we know that at one point in time, they were where the Cardinals are now, and they need a culture change. So it, it's interesting you talked about that control. Do you think, do you believe, based
1: on what you know and what you're seeing, that Michael Bidwell would be willing to give up that control to a
0: GM? Because you're going to have a head coach at a GM if you're going to win. They're going to want to have control of this no No doubt. Michael likes to be very much involved. Michael likes to be very hands on. We learned this year from Cliff Kingsbury himself that Cliff and Vance Joseph, the defensive coordinator, have had to spend time watching film with the owner, um, which seems to be very um, weird. Uh, to be kind. So that really is the the bottom line here. Is he is he willing to understand? I need to back up out of this a little bit that I need to hire good people and get out of the way. I hope so. He's a real smart guy. And and I, and there's examples in front of him everywhere. The New York Giants laughing stock for years and years and years and years went out and hired the assistant coach in Buffalo. Boom, playoff team. Jacksonville, a joke. They go out and hire a guy who won a Super Bowl in Philly. Comes in, brings a new culture. Boom, they're a playoff team. You can do this if you bring in the right voice. The Cardinals, their hierarchy, their leadership structure, it's been turned upside down for too long. They need to empower a head coach and get out of the way. Dan, it's great. It's always great to talk to you. Likewise, Broomy. All right. Big that's love, Dan,
1: man. That's Dan Bigley. We'll be back here in just a moment. Stick around.
0: Yeah. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM,
1: and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much for being here. Big news, uh, the firing of Cliff Kingsbury as the head coach of the Arizona Cardinals. I'm going to read this to you before we get to our next topic. Um, This is from the Arizona Cardinals. We have announced that head coach Cliff Kingsbury has been relieved of his duties. In addition, general manager Steve Keim has decided to step away from his position in order to focus on his health. The team wishes them well and thanks both of them for their contributions. So we are looking the Arizona Cardinals will be looking for a GM and a head coach uh, as they move forward. That's a big news story. The Super Bowl is here in Arizona here in just a few weeks. But uh, the Arizona Cardinals will be looking for new leadership. So we'll be on top of that all throughout the day as well. As other things, uh, the president visited the border, but before he did, we had the head of the Border Patrol Council, uh, Brandon Judd, on with us last week, and we talked with him uh, about what the president said and uh, beforehand with the, the speech he made before going to the border, and we asked him if anything was going to make a difference. And he said that it was nothing new in what the president said except for one thing.
0: So the vast majority of what he said is just repackaging the, the, the original six pillars that he came up with that, that- failed
1: miserably. There is one thing that that DHS later came out and and released. They said that they're going to implement a rule that requires people to claim asylum in the first, safe, third country that they come to. If they actually implement that, that will be a game changer. So will they do that? And again, if it's a rule, because now I want you to hear on the other side of this, this is Secretary Mayorkas from Homeland Security talking about the immigration system as a whole. We are dealing within a broken immigration system that Congress has failed to repair for decades. And there is unanimity with respect to that reality. So, again, I agree with that, what he says about the Congress and not being able to fix the problem. It goes back, go back to the Reagan administration with a deal that was made with Congress that did not solve the problem. You can look at each president. I've talked about a number of them that have addressed the issue in one way or another. Uh, uh, George W. Bush uh, was the one who said it was one of the regrets of his presidency that he was not able to get comprehensive immigration reform done. There is no doubt that our immigration system needs to be fixed, but policies are put in place by an administration, and then they put people in positions to implement those policies. Mayorkas is there at the pleasure of the President of the United States. He is there specifically to implement the policies of the Biden administration. Will they make these policy changes? And and if Congress were to get together and really get some laws with teeth them about where people apply for asylum so that we could fix this system. Will the president sign it into law? Those are big questions. Now, Governor Abbott from the state of Texas wrote a letter to the president and hand delivered it to him during his visit to Texas. Here's what he said was in that letter. I ask him to go see the areas where we have these mass migration crossings and go visit uh, with the people who own property and live on the border whose lives have been totally disrupted. And see, that's where um, uh, many of you may have been. I know that I have been on a number of occasions, both in southern Arizona and southern Texas. I went down to the border uh, down in McAllen, Texas, years ago to see what was happening there. And unless you put your eyes on it, unless you actually see what it's doing, the wave of humanity as they come across the border. In the time I was in Texas, it was children that were coming across. When you see the wave of humanity coming across the border, it is staggering. It really is shocking to see. And unless you put your eyes on it, it's very hard to even describe what it's like and then what it does to those small towns. You're not talking about major metropolitan areas in these border towns. You aren't. These are small towns that have uh, very small resources, and they're being overwhelmed. And then in come the tents and in come the fences, and you see a town that's overrun. And so it it really is a big burden on these towns, not to mention – that there are so many of these people that are seeking asylum legitimately that are waiting in, lo- in long, long lines. And so I want you to hear a couple of more things. Uh, this is the governor talking about the president needing to do his job. I said, you have you, Mr. President, you have a job to do, and that is to enforce the immigration laws already on the books. And I'll line five ways in that letter of what it can do right now without any new law having to be passed the politics in america this is where people get frustrated the average person gets frustrated with politics because there's something the governor here said that this governor said that was correct and that is why aren't you talking to the people that are actually there you want it you sometimes you get stuck talking to people that only tell you what you want to hear and in this case if you get the diversity of opinions listen not everybody there are sheriffs here in the state of arizona that say that the border secure and they don't have a problem with the border so so go and talk to everyone. Go and talk to Sheriff Dannels. Talk to some of the people in, in Del Rio or McAllen, Texas. Go and talk to people that are on the border every single day. Go down to southern Arizona and talk to the ranchers and listen to them explain how bad it is on their land, how they're boarding up and putting bars on their windows and doors. They're sending their wives and their children away. They're they're riding their land with firearms because they know how dangerous it is. I think that's the way you get to a solution is by the people that live it every day. And that's not exactly what this president's visit did. It was just looked as if they were just checking the box. Coming up in a moment, we're going to talk about the economy. There is a slowing of the economy. We also had an interesting conversation with Glenn Hickman, who is the CEO and president of Hickman's Family Farms. And uh, we're going to let you hear a little bit of what he said because egg prices have increased dramatically. When will we see some relief? All that's coming up next. Thanks for being here. Appreciate you spending some time with the show. As always, interesting conversation. As we know, the price of things have gone up so much. Inflation still is, is hurting so many people, which is why we're seeing the Fed rate increasing so much, because they're trying to slow down the economy and uh, bring prices down. Is it working? Well, one of the things that's contributing to the price of things going up has been the price of eggs. And eggs have gone up because of avian flu, because of bird flu. The infection across the country has diminished supply along with increased demand over the holidays. And so now we are seeing that roll back just a bit. We had an interesting conversation with Glenn Hickman, who is the CEO and president of Hickman's Family Farms out in the West Valley. It is a family run business, been around for generations here in Arizona, providing eggs across the southwestern United States and, in, and beyond in a big part of our community. Um, so I, I want you to hear a little bit of his description where he talks about the prices since the holidays. Since the holidays, are, the, the national egg market has basically been limit down every day. So eggs are becoming more available, and as the demand has slackened, the pricing is reflecting that reduced uh, demand as well. And if you have one bird that's infected with this flu, you've got to kill the entire flock. And that's one of the things that I asked him about, and here's was his comment. What happens is the, the one bird gets infected, and it spreads pretty fast, so it's... It's not like you can just ignore the uh, the one bird because maybe you've got a oh, hundred birds today that become infected and die. Um, depending on the size of the flock and such, you know that that can exponentially grow to a thousand the next day, and and so on and so forth. So the reason why I paid so much attention is well, two things. First of all, because they're such a resource here in Arizona, this is an Arizona fa- uh, family business, but also it affects so much of everything we do. It's another one of those necessities. How much of what you cook or what you cook with, when you think about the restaurant industry, what this would do to them and their costs spiking like this. Uh, When I was in the electrical industry, when I was an electrical contractor – we used to watch the price of copper because when copper prices would go up, the cost of copper wire would go up. And many times you weren't able to put that into it. If you had an existing job that was going on, you bid it at one price and now the price has gone up so much more. It really does affect the bottom line. Just like in many restaurants, this increase, this very quick spike uh, it has a big impact on the restaurant industry. Um, but there is more going on in the economy. Macy's uh, is closing more stores, four more stores shuttered in the latest round. Um, hiring wage gains eased in December, pointing to a cooling in the labor market for 2023. Um, here's another headline from the Washington Post. Tech workers had their pick of jobs for years. That era is over for now. Um, so uh, how to lay off workers is what a lot of companies are asking. And so the reason why I'm bringing in these headlines up is because people are concerned about what the job market will be. The shining um, the kind of the silver lining that we've been watching is jobs have remained very, very strong. In Arizona, I think for the most part, they're going to. But in other parts of the country, we're seeing such a slowdown. What is going to happen in the job market? As we watch the slowdown happen, the one thing that was keeping people able to pay their bills was being able to get extra work. Many of the jobs for people were second jobs. It was another income uh, so that they could pay their bills. If those jobs begin to dry up, how will people pay their bills? What will happen to people? Uh, We're going to see evictions go up. We know that housing is very expensive in the state of Arizona. So are we going to continue to see these high housing prices? And if someone's been evicted, now you've got an eviction on your credit. Now you're trying to find somewhere else to live. This is going to be something that takes a long time for people people to dig out of. so as we look at the economies, we look at our personal economy, what are the things that people are going to be able to do? Are you in a job that you're secure with? That's one of the things for me. Job security has always meant the world to me. I've always wanted to work somewhere where I knew I had a solid place, that I had, I had built for myself a reputation with the ownership or the leadership of a, of a company that they could count on me so that I would be one of the people if things were to slow down, that they tried to find a way to hang on to, and it served me well um i've never been i've never been ever without a job in my life um but that's not always the case for people and i'm not saying there's anything special about me we know that there are reliable workers out there that will find themselves Being laid off. The tech industry is starting to do some of this. We've heard about the finance sector doing this. Are we going to see a drop in the the stock markets going into 2023? The uncertainty of things is what caused people that consumer confidence is very low. That more than anything else, people are not going to go out and buy big ticket items or go out and extend their credit if they feel as if they may not be secure in their job. I mean, that's one of the things people do. We're not sure. When you're very sure of things, when you're confident about things, you'll take a risk. You'll buy a newer vehicle, maybe not a new one, but a newer vehicle. You'll go out and get a car payment. When you feel as if you know you are secure in your employment, when word like this goes out that layoffs are coming, people start to reel things in. You couple that with what what's happening with the inflation that people are spending so much of their discretionary income on necessities, and now you're getting the perfect storm. So how do you slow down an economy without moving into a recession where we see massive layoffs? Then you're going to start seeing people fall off of the financial cliff. That. To me is one of the biggest concerns that's out there is what do we do about the jobs? And that is what people are really concerned about is, is jobs and keeping those jobs available um, so that people are able to. I want you to hear uh, Deirdre Bolton from ABC News talking about the jobs that were added.
0: Friday's jobs report shows a solid labor market. Employers adding the most jobs in health care and social assistance, leisure and hospitality and construction. Unemployment rate decreasing to 3.5% that match a five-decade low, and participation inching higher. So that means more people are coming off the sidelines to work.
1: That's good news if people are coming off the sidelines. So that's part of the unemployment number, as we've seen solid numbers. But now they're also looking at a cooling in wages, and we've seen inflation still on the increase. That's the other part of it, is wages are not keeping up with inflation. So now the question is, since the job market was still strong, what might we see from the Fed?
0: This is just one. So important inflation data going to be released this week, but the Fed does have more room to slow rate hikes. So many economists factoring in the possibility of a 25 basis point hike versus 50. That's great news for people who need a new mortgage or a new car loan.
1: So are they going to slow down? That would be a nice thing there. And the people we know, the housing market in Arizona has cooled, although we are still moving quickly compared to other parts of the country because there is a housing shortage here in the state of Arizona. So it is a mixed bag of information for sure. Um, But for the average person, if you're just trying to keep your head above water, it doesn't matter what you call it. And this is the thing we've been talking about forever. You can call it a recession. You can call it whatever you want. But when it affects you personally, when you're having a difficult time meeting your bottom line, when you're having to tell your children no for things that you know are beneficial to them, when you're working as hard as you ever have, but you're not putting money away, that you're just kind of treading water, it becomes frustrating and scary for people. Absolutely terrifying. So now we're going to talk, we're going to shift gears in a moment. I want to talk about education funding in Arizona. New governor today, the state of the state address, two o'clock this afternoon, going to be carried live here on KTAR News. But we're going to talk about education and what happens because there's a spending cap. How will they address the issue for education in Arizona? We'll talk about it next. Thanks so much for being here. Appreciate you spending some time with me, as always. Uh, big changes may be coming to Arizona. Change in policy, for sure. New governor starts the job. Uh, doing a QA and a with Bram Resnick on 12 News this weekend. Governor Hobbs was talking about schools. And one of the things we're talking about, the possibility of a special session on the spending cap for schools. Here's just a little bit of what she had to say. So you would expect to call a special session to lift the spending cap? In order to get it implemented as quickly as possible, yes. So um we will see what happens. Now, if you're lost on what this is or if you're not familiar with this story, um, in the ninth, early 1980s, there was a ballot proposition that was passed by the voters here in Arizona, which means because it was passed by the voters in Arizona with a spending cap on education, the only way that it could be overridden is with a two-thirds majority of, of both the House and the Senate, which is a very difficult thing to get to. There is a one-seat majority for the Republicans in both chambers. So to get to a two-thirds majority is going to be very difficult. They did it in the last session in the very last week. Of the session, they were able to get to a two thirds majority. Now the money has already been allocated. The money is in the bank. The money is there, but it cannot be spent until this happens. Now, can it be overridden forever? Can they can they go in with a piece of legislation, get a two thirds majority that would eliminate this? I guess that's possible, but it isn't likely because there are a lot of people that are going to use the political capital that it brings in order to get their vote. But I, I also think that it is political. Suit- suicide to not allow this and not to make this happen so there is something to the power of the vote what it takes to get your vote. But in the end, imagine the state legislature has allocated billions of dollars. It's in the bank. It's there to be spent for the education of our children and then to not have this money be spent. I think it's political suicide to not make sure that that happens. But the larger question, and I keep pulling stories from around the country and here in Arizona as more and more people are looking at school choice, uh, Christian schools are, are exploding in population around the country. More and more people are leaving the public school system, and it isn't become an epidemic. It isn't, isn't becoming these huge numbers, but we are seeing a shift in education, which is why I think the school choice in Arizona, when it gets when it catches on as it, and it gets rolling the way everybody wants it to, I think we're going to see significant changes. And I don't see – even if we don't see huge changes, I don't have a problem, and I don't know why anybody else does, where the, the control of the dollars – that are spent by the parents are back in the hands of the parents. I love the idea of kids being able to go to the school or parents being able to choose a better school for their children if it suits their child's needs better. I think that's where the power belongs. Um, Ultimately, the parents have to make the decision because they live with the consequences. The parents are responsible for the acts of their children, and yet, they shouldn't have the responsibility I, I it doesn't make any sense to me um that you know you uh when it comes to your children's medical decisions you were you go to experts and you ask them but ultimately the parents make those decisions as well and it is a big responsibility for a parent to make sure that their child has an education. I've told my family's story. Um, I know the value of a of a, an academic intensive school. Um, it, it benefited my brother so greatly. He was able to graduate with honors. Um, and, and I look at this and I think it's not going to help every kid. Not every child is going to need or want to go into that setting. But if it's available, why shouldn't we make it possible for those families to make those decisions. It's one of the reasons why charter schools are so popular. We have these things now called micro schools. Homeschooling has become a bigger issue and a bigger thing around the country because people are seeing that the public school system is not a one size fits all anymore. And if we if we don't see changes, if the public school system doesn't change It is about funding to a certain degree. We all understand that the money needs to be there, but we also understand, I think most people understand, that school districts – are autonomous. So when the money is allocated to the school district, that school board spends the money the way they see fit. And when parents start asking questions about, first of all, you're saying you don't have enough money to pay teachers what they deserve, and yet you're spending huge amounts of money on curriculum that may not be useful or may not be the priority for kids when kids can't read or perform math skills. And more and more parents are beginning to ask that question. With the online learning that we saw, more and more parents want to know what their children are learning. And I think now they're going to start asking what the costs are. How much does it cost for that curriculum? How much does it cost to train a teacher in that curriculum? Why is that curriculum being prioritized over, over other things or being given equal time? And I think that when those questions are asked... You start getting those answers, I think that's when you're going to start seeing changes, along with the fact that you saw more and more parents stepping out and running for school board positions to make some changes because they didn't like what was happening in their districts. It isn't about demonizing someone for who they are. It, what it, it, it's about is what are the priorities in a public school system? If children are not reading at grade level, then the school system is failing. And so are the parents, by the way. Because ultimately, the parents are responsible for their child's education. If the kids can't read, if they can't perform math skills, if they are not ready for the next part of their life, whether it's higher education, the workforce, or the military, then the education system in America is failing. And we are seeing how huge numbers of kids that are not equipped for the next phase of their life. So we can all yell at each other about the things that we disagree on, but we have to agree that it's not working. And how are we going to address the issue so that we don't have another generation of kids that have one arm tied behind their back metaphorically when it comes to the workforce, when it comes to the next phase of their life? This should be the biggest issue for many, 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 many of us. And I hope it becomes a bigger issue. Coming up in the 11 o'clock hour, we talked with the supervisor, actually the chairman of the board of the board of supervisors, Bill Gates, this morning. There is going to be an investigation into what happened on election day. Who is it that they've hired? What do they expect from the education? When can you expect some results and what changes are going to happen? We're going to let you hear all of it next.